you greetings today on behalf of Pastor Lomax in his absence. Uh, for our preaching moment today, we'd like to look at First Chronicles chapter 29. That's First Chronicles chapter 29, where we're continuing our sermonic series. And this week, our sermonic focus will be on the contributors. First Chronicles 29, and today for the sake for the sake of time, I will just read um, verses 14 through 17. But I ask that you would keep your Bibles open throughout the sermon on today. And I'm reading today from the New International Version of the text. It says, but, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as, we, as were all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given wittingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here have given to you. Just, just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's a heart condition. That's what I want to talk about today. It's a heart condition. You may take your seats in this place on today. So we begin our thought, our time today of sharing with you today, my brothers and sisters, this time of coming together to read and to reason with you God's word. If I were to ask you today a question, what does Warren Buffett William Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, and Oprah Winfrey have in common. Without hesitation, many of you would probably say that they are all rich. And while that would be an accurate testament of their wealth, that wasn't what impressed me about these four individuals. What impressed me was not only were they rich monetarily, Deacon Stewart, but what impressed me was that they had richness and generosity. That if you were to look at these four individuals over the past decade, yes, you would find these four individuals on the Forbes 400 list of being the world's wealthiest individuals. But you will also notice that they were leading the charge in charitable donations around the world. And I wanted to start here today because they, my brothers and sisters, have mastered and have modeled what a culture of generosity is all about. Because what I've come to discover that we're not born with this culture of generosity, but it's something that we can learn. And when you begin to look at Warren Buffett, who is the world's second richest man, 
he, he begins to discover in his recent interviews, he says, the sole reason that I continue to invest and make money is not so I can build bigger barns for myself. It's not so I can drive the Bentley or the latest cars. He says, but I have pledged upon myself to continue to make more money so that I can bless those who are without. He has taken up his time of going on record of saying that he is not going to leave his kids anything. But he wants them to greatest thing that he wants them to be left with is that they understand and they operate in a culture of generosity. Here it is, Warren Buffett, the world's second richest man in 2006, made American history not by making the most money, but by giving the largest single charitable donation of $37 billion to the Bill and Belinda Gates Foundation. But what but, but Buffett says is this was not something that I was born with. To get to this point and place in my life, I, I went to study the philanthropy efforts of Rockefeller and Carnegie because I didn't just want to go into this haphazardly. I wanted to have a full understanding of what it really means to flow in a culture of generosity. When you look at William Bill Clinton, he wrote a book entitled Giving, and he denotes a great deal of space in his book to the charitable habits of the world's wealthiest inhabitants. And when you want to look Look at someone who is going to be on the forefront of AIDS research. If you want to look at somebody who is going to rise to the challenge of helping victims of natural disasters, you can look for William Bill Clinton to be somewhere in the mix. That's why when there was a natural disaster in Haiti, he was one of the first individuals to give $1 million and then use his sphere of influence to raise millions of more because he understands what a culture of generosity is about. When you look at Bill Gates, Bill Gates, as we know, has been on the top of the list for a while now as the world's wealthiest individual. But Bill Gates in 19, early 1990s came under great scrutiny because people looked at how blessed he was, Minister Chowder. They looked at how well he had done with Microsoft. They looked at how much money he had made. They looked at what he had earned, but they looked at what he had given. And he came under great scrutiny because they said, with how blessed you are, it does not equate to how you are blessing others. But Bill Gates didn't cuss him out. He didn't tell him off. He didn't retaliate. He didn't respond. But what he did was he began to research other people and how they gave and what they did. And like Rockefeller he, and like Carnegie, he tried to study them to do the exact same thing. And as of 2007, no one... And America has given more to charity than Bill and Melinda Gates. Matter of fact, they have given over $28 billion of their money. So much so, Proctor, that Bill Gates have developed what he calls the giving pledge. His giving pledge for his family's life and foundation is this, that we will donate over half of our wealth to charity. That, that sounds like a culture of generosity to me. But, but because 
because this is Black History Month, I could not leave off an African American, so I came to Oprah Winfrey. And we know that since Oprah Winfrey, that she has given over $303 million over the years. And she was noted by the Business Week magazines as one of America's top 50 most generous philanthropists. You know the work that she has done in South Africa. You know how she has built schools. You know that she started the gift registry for the Hurricane Katrina victims. She has given scholarships. She was named the Bob Hope Humanitarian Award recipient in 2002. And while I am impressed with what Gates have done, while I am impressed with what Buffett has done and Clinton has done and Winfrey has done, none of them can compare to the greatest giver of all time like God. While I am excited about Bill Gates' 27 million, while I'm excited about Buffett's 37 million, while I'm excited about the schools in South Africa and the Hurricane Katrina relief, while I am excited about Bill's Clinton work in AIDS research, when, when the dust set us, we got to give the credit to God. Because the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, that even though they gave it, that we have to give of God the credit but let me just go a little further because what I love about that is it is one thing to have a great education is one thing to give our scholarships is one thing to be able to help those of natural disasters it's one thing to do all of that but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then turn around and lose his or her soul while I'm grateful for what they are trying to do I, I gotta pause to give God praise because God look beyond beyond the natural God look beyond the now and God wanted to hook you and I up with something eternal God wanted to bless us with something that fire couldn't burn water could not drown ice could not freeze God wanted to hook us up with something that the termites couldn't eat away at the temple of our time so God gave us the greatest gift and Jesus Christ if you can't praise God for anything else you ought to be able to praise God for Jesus Christ because that's what I love about what the hymnist said Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe sin has left a crimson stain but he washed it what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus I wish I had some witnesses in this room that did not mind giving God praise for the blood I may not have the Bentley or the Benz but I have the blood of Jesus Christ I may not have the cast the car are the creeds, but I got Christ living on the inside of me and that's why I praise God every time I make my way to church because this joy that I have the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away once y'all sit down for a moment and so you got to tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, what you don't understand is that's why I praise and celebrate my God because he's such a giver. And that's where our text turns today because our ceremony spotlight shines on David, who the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. So when you look at God, that God is a giver and God gave us his best. In order for David to be a man after God's own heart, it means that he has to re- 
reflect the nature and character of God. Let me pause here parenthetically to say that there are always those of us who talk about all the time that we spend worshiping God and praising God and praying to God. But the question is, what characteristics do you exhibit when you come out of worship and prayer and praise? Because you've got to be able to exemplify the characteristics that you've spent time with God. Let me talk to you for a moment. When I used to live in Georgia, I worked there at the rare near pump and paper mill. And the old deacon at the Bennett Union Baptist Church said to me, he says, young man, I've never seen an individual walk through a sawmill and not come out with any saw dust on him or her. Let me talk to somebody for a minute. You, you cannot convince me that you spend time with God, but yet you don't exemplify what God has. You, you cannot tell me that you spend time with God and God gives us the best every day, but yet you don't have a giving characteristic in your life. Something is wrong with that picture, my brothers and sisters, because I've never seen God bless a stingy, selfish person. God wants to use somebody that he can get up. Come on, talk to me, somebody. So when I looked at David in this text, it doesn't surprise me that David is a giver. And that David now, at the time of our text in 1 Chronicles 29, is cheerfully contributing to the kingdom work at hand. But what impresses me about David, if you don't have to tune me out yet, is that David in this passage, Minister Bobby, he did not give, watch this, in order to get blessed. He gave because he was already blessed. Let me say this to somebody because I know what your prosperity theology teaches you. It teaches you that the only reason that you want to give God a dollar if God promised to give you a hundred dollars back. But David said, baby, I'm not trying to pimp my God. I'm giving back to God because I recognize I'm already blessed. That if I only have a dollar to give, that's a blessing to be able to get. Can I talk to somebody in this house that what you have to recognize is that God is not looking at the amount, but God is looking at the attitude. God, God is looking to see do you, are you just grateful over what you have now? Because if you are not grateful over what you have now, what makes you think you're going to be grateful when God tries to hook you up with the overflow? So this is what I love about it. Because the Christian mindset should be this. The Christian mindset as it relates to giving should be, I release without having to receive. I give without having to get in return. That I'm blessing in order to be a blessing and not to get a blessing. Those of you who are in here today, perhaps this is the first sermon you heard on giving. So let me state bar none that Christian beginning commences with the tithe. That's 10% of your earnings. And tithing, my brothers and sisters, is an act of obedient giving. It's an act of obedient giving. Let me say this. It is not equal giving, but it is equal sacrifice. So I don't have to worry about what my neighbor is giving. All I have to do is be faithful over what God has given me and give God back what God requires of me. 
But however, when we look at the lives of Buffett and Clinton and Gates and Winfrey, we understand that the culture of generosity gives above and beyond the tithe. That when you start looking at what they have given, and the only reason that they can do it is because they understand that this culture of generosity has to extend beyond and above the tithe. For a man to simply say, I'm going to work the rest of my life to give more than half of my wealth to charity must mean that he understands that you cannot be God giving no matter how hard you try. But isn't it amazing when Malachi writes this in Malachi chapter 3 that he's talking to Christian believers. He's not talking to the world, but he is writing to people. Watch this. Whom God has freed from slavery. Who God has brought them across the Red Sea. Who God has allowed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Who God has, watched this, brought them through Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity. But God has to still beg them to give back what belongs to him. But David said, that's not my testimony because I recognize where I come from. I recognize that when God found me, he didn't find me in the palace, but he found me outside. Even when my father didn't affirm me and nobody knew my name, God still saw something inside of me. And because I remember where I came from, God don't have to beg me for a dime. God don't have to pump me for a dime. God don't don't have to pimp me to get what he needs from me because I recognize if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would not have what I have. And so, and so on my commute from Pembroke Pines to Miami Gardens, I, I, I called David into my chamber. I, I said, David, what, what makes you different than the other people? Both of you, God, have protected. Both of you, God, has forgiven. Both of you, God, has called out of obscurity. Both of you, God, has blessed mightily. David says, here is the difference. The reason why I gave so freely is because I gave because I was grateful. He says, he says, people who are grateful... You don't have to pump and prime them to give because grateful people give because they are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. I, 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 I got it. I, I got it. 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 This reminds me, passing church in Daytona Beach. Here was an elder lady in the church, Sister Gwen, about 78, 79 years of age. Steps were very slow, but, but, but every Sunday she with a cane in one hand and an offering envelope in the other hand will march around the offering place. And so I would stop her Sunday in, Sunday out. I, I, I would say, sister, you, you, you've earned the right. Why, why, why don't you just get, give your offering to the ushers to put in for you? Why, why, why won't you just give your, your, your offering to your neighbor for them to, to, to put in for you? She, she says, young preacher, sit down for a minute. She said, let, let, let me tell you why I don't give it to my neighbor or to the usher. Because the usher and the neighbor weren't there during the Great Depression when God brought me through. 
The, the usher and my neighbor were not there when I was lying flat on my back and God healed me. The, the usher were not there, Shante, when I did not know how I was going to put food on the table for my kids. But because God hooked me up every day, every time I get a chance to make it into his house, I know my steps may be slow, but I'm going to give him a wave offering, a two-step, and a shout because I want God to know that I am grateful. Are there any grateful people in the house today that you recognize that the Lord has been good to you? I'm grateful. David, David said, I'm grateful, Pastor T. I said, David, what, what, what else is in here? He says, he says, Pastor see, when you start reading my worship, starting at verse 10, 10 through my prayer, he says, in, in the midst of my personal worship with God in a public setting, because when, when you're grateful, you, you don't care who look at you. When, when, when you're grateful, you, you, you don't care what they have to, to, to say about you. Just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's all right. I, I may not be your cup of tea, but I ain't coming up in here trying to please you. My grateful attitude has everything to do with him. It ain't got nothing to do with you. So David says, I, I, I didn't care about what they were thinking about me. I didn't care about what they were saying about me because true worship always focuses on the greatness of God. And David says, when you began to see my praise and my worship, you began to see that I worship God for his majesty. I worship God for his power. I worship God for his splendor. I said, David, that's fine. But that's not what impressed me in the text. What impressed me in the text was not what David did during worship but what David did after worship because the Bible says in verse number 20 that after David had prayed after David had praised after David had worship that he now leads the people and said bless the Lord through giving monetarily because David is simply trying to say that when I came to God I, I had made up in my mind that I was not just going to give God lip service because David understand and repeat after me no money no mission I don't care how much we talk about it it takes money to do the mission on God's field do I have a witness in this house so David says here's what I want the fountain of new life to know that generosity flows out of worship that God let me preach it that the pendulum of worship swings more heavily, Tony, on releasing than it does receiving. Show, show me a person who is predominantly focused on receiving of what they get. I'll show you a person who has not experienced the true apex of authentic worship. Because worship never focuses on what you receive from God. But true worship focuses on what you release back 
to God. And that's why it's hard to get people in the church to worship because you can't be selfish and self-centered and worship. That if you're going to worship God, that you have to come in church and you don't have to not mind about your makeup running. You have to not mind about your weave strikes coming out. You have to mind not about your suit sweating out. But you have to get to a point and place in your life that you say God is greater than my hair. God is greater than my mascara. God is greater than my money. He is greater than my education. Do I have a witness in this house? I got, I got six more minutes so I said David when I looked at your worship I saw several other things about it. The David says, when you look at verses 10 through 13, worship, watch this. He says, it reveals, watch this, the heart and pulse of worship centralizes on the character and attributes of God. Once, watch this, once David focuses on the stewardship of God, it forces him to look at his own stewardship. I'm a preach this thing today. Look, look, look at verse 14. V- verse 14 opens up with an intriguing interrogative. He says, but this contrasting conjunction that David has spent the first four verses looking at the characteristics of God. And when he looked at the characteristics of God, his response, Massey, is, but who am I? I got to stop there for a moment. That that whenever you compare yourself to God, that that ought to be the question that comes to your mind. But, But who am I? I know you got a great education, but who am I? I know you're rolling and riding well, but who am I when I compare myself to the greatness and splendor of God? David says, when I looked at this, it changed how I viewed giving, Katie, because I now see giving as an opportunity to be a blessing and not as a burden. Giving is a privilege and not a problem for me. I said, David, why? He says, because sticky givers give sacrificially and selflessly. And David says, watch this. When you look at verse 3, I didn't wait for a cue. I didn't wait for a signal. I didn't even wait for a prophetic promise. He says, but I offered it. Oh, somebody missed what I just said. David says, I offered it. Look at verses 15, 6, verse 17. David says, but, but, but not only did I offer it, but look at how I offered it. He says, I offer it willingly and with joy. That, that when you come around this altar, that, that, that ought to be a time that, that you show all 32 or whatever you have left. Because you recognize that God has been better to you. Oh, come on, talk to me, somebody. 
let, 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 let me press this claim a little bit further. Let me, let, because somebody still ain't got it yet. Here, here's what David is saying. David said, I offer it. That means freely. No, no tricks. No, no, no schemes. No, no, no ploys. And joyfully has the Lord given to me. That, that, that David says that, that I don't have to turn tricks to get anything from the Lord. I, I don't have to scheme and manipulate the Lord into blessing me. So, so why should the Lord have to do it to get something? I, oh, okay, I, I got it, I got it. David said, David said, I said, David, I said, I'm preaching at the fountain. And, and you know, we can be a little heady. He says, he says right here in the text, he, he says, my giving, how and what I give speaks to my attitude towards God. Now, I, I know that many are reminded of David's contribution of what he gave 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver. After worship ends, David asks for another sacrificial offering in which they give 1,000 bulls. 1,000 rams, 1,000 lambs, drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance. But David says, Pastor T, what I gave was only a feeble means of reciprocity. I said, David, what do you mean? He says, when you look at verse 16, Gerald, you will discover That what I released out of my hand was not the first hand exchange that took place. I said, wait a minute, David. He says, Josh, he says, what you don't understand is God gave it to me first. So whatever I'm giving back to him is only a portion of what he put in my hand in the Somebody missed what I just said. Somebody missed what I just said. And here you are thinking you are doing God a favor. Baby, you got it messed up. God has been hooking you up even when you shouldn't have been hooked up. Don't don't you make me go there. You you ain't that holy. You don't cross every high and dot every T. Don't you make it seem like God got to bless you. Don't you make it seem like God should have hooked you up like he hooked you up. Based on your own actions, he should have cut you off a long time ago. But you want to praise God for favor. David says, Pastor T, I didn't mind giving it because sticky contributors recognize that everything comes from the Lord. And David says, the least that you and I can do is give God back in his hand what he put in our hand willingly and joyously. God, God, my brothers and sisters, as I hasten to close, I said, God, why do you put it in our hands in the first place? Knowing that some of us got sticky fingers. Knowing that some of us are so selfish and self-absorbed. Why why, why do you even put it in our hands to begin with? God God says because I I, want to see. Are you going to hoard on to what I give to you? 
or are you going to share it with other people? Because God told me to remind somebody in this building today that if he cannot get a blessing through you, that you are preventing him from getting blessings to you. That God is still looking for somebody who is not going to hold on to everything that God puts in their hands. But God is looking for people who don't mind releasing back into the lives of other people. But I saw it. I saw it. I said, David, one last thing. One last thing. I said, that's, that's fine and well. He says, but Pastor T, all of what you said is good. He says, but here is the point. It's a heart condition. Generosity is a matter of the heart. That David uses in this passage the word heart five times. Verse 9, he says whole heart. Verse 17, he said, God test the heart. Verse 17, he says, in the uprightness of my heart. Verse 18, he said, the thoughts in my heart. Verse 19, he closes by saying whole heart. So that means that a culture of generosity cannot be reached without tender hearts. And David provides insight that what we release through our hands is a reflection of what we have in our hearts. David said in verse number three in the message translation, he says, furthermore, because my heart is in this, that I'm able to give in addition to and beyond what I have gathered. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as I leave y'all, it means that giving starts with the heart. So David says in verse 21 that God, will you grant to my son a whole heart to father this culture of generosity and that's why God could give us Jesus Christ his only begotten son is because he had a heart to want to see you and I in fellowship with us and because Jesus had a big heart that's why he didn't mind giving his clothes to the gamblers giving his head to a crown his feet and hands to a nail his side to a spear his back to 39 and a cross and his spirit to God because he loved us and if you ever want to know how much God loves you if you ever want to be reminded of how big God's heart is for you all you got to do is think about the cross all you have to do is think about Jesus Christ all you have to do is think about the blood of Jesus Christ and I dare you to keep thinking about his blood in order to be able to show up in your giving It's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. As we're all standing over this building, it's a heart condition. David is saying, David is saying, and I want people to understand the myth. The myth sometimes is the more money I make, the more I'm willing to give. That's a myth. Because if you don't have the heart at $100 a week, chances are you ain't going to have the heart at $10,000 a week. It's the heart. It's the heart. And God is looking at your heart. When you come around this 
altar today to give. God is not looking at the amount. He's looking at your motive in your heart. Are you excited about it? Are you grateful? Will you honor me? Will, will, will you honor me? Will you honor me? Will you honor me? I want to say this. And don't, don't take this the wrong way. But the reason we're trying to create a culture of generosity is not to build bigger bonds. But it's to, to be a blessing to more people. And the culture of generosity has to extend above and beyond the tithe. I understand many of you you're trying to get there. Fine. Let that be your foundation. That's your start, starting place. That's your starting place. That's your starting place. But when we release the tide back to God, essentially what we've done is given back to God what we owe him. That's all. That's all we've done. If you owe me $1,000 and you call me up, Pastor T, man, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. And all you turn around and do is give me $1,000. You ain't blessed me. All you've done is paid me what you owe me. But if you give me a thousand and a little something, something on the side, now, now you can talk about you bless me. And that's where God wants us to get to. God, I don't just want to pay you what you owe me, but you've been so good to me. Here is my gratuity. <laughs> y'all busy, y'all. There may be somebody that.